in John Bunyan's famous allegory called The Pilgrim's Progress, he illustrates the power of humility, the power of humility in the Christian life. So the story is about a man named Christian, and he is on this journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And at one point in this journey, he is attacked by this fearful, huge, gruesome creature called Apollyon. Compared to Christian, Apollyon is huge. He has wings um, of like dragon-like wings. He's got these scale-like body armor, and he's got the face of a lion. He's just a fearful creature. Um, At first, he tries to defeat Christian by getting him to turn around by using accusations. Christian's on this path. He's he's got a purpose. He's got a mission, and Apollyon tries to send him back home to to the city of destruction by using accusations. He reminds Christian of all the times in his life when when he failed his, his king, the, the, the king of the celestial city that has called him from the city of destruction, times when he was unfaithful to God. Reminds him of that. He, he reminds him of times when he started to doubt and, and, and even thought about giving up at one point. He reminds Christian of the times when he slept, when he should have been attending to God's instructions. And Christian, is he's forced to admit that Apollyon's accusations are true. But then he turns to Apollyon and he reminds Christian of the grace and the forgiveness of God. And although he does not deserve it, it's because of the blood of Jesus that he is worthy to be going on this journey to the celestial city. Well, when Apollyon hears this, he loses it. He becomes furious. And he... He vows to destroy Christian right then and there. A, an intense attack takes place. This battle ensues. Christian is knocked down, and it appears that he is at the moment where Apollyon is about to end his life with one more blow. That's the end of Christian. But just in that moment, Christian finds strength in God, and he rises up. And with his sword, this is from the book here, uh, with his sword, he thrusts this, this this blow that defeats Apollyon, saying that he is more than a conqueror through him who loved us. It's an inspiring, inspiring scene there in the book. And during this encounter, something really significant takes place. Here, Christian is forced to see that he is not powerful enough to overcome in his own strength. In the past, in, in fact, just before this encounter, it's, it says that he slipped a, several times in his life because of pride. He had struggled with pride before, thinking that he had it in himself. He could take care of himself. He was in c- control of things. But in this battle, he was forced to admit that he didn't have it together. He could not overcome in his own strength. And he chose, when Christian chose to humble himself and put his trust in his heavenly king, in the word of God, he overcame decidedly. Now, no matter how devoted you are to Jesus, sometimes we wonder, like, man, I'm being attacked. What did I do wrong? Well, that's just the Christian life. No matter how devoted you are to Jesus, you're going to face attacks. At times, you can get beat up. Sometimes you could even get knocked down like Christian was in this allegory. But no matter how intense the conflict, the Bible shows us how we, weak 
and wretched sinners though we might be, how we can overcome. Today we're continuing our series called The Story of the Cross, and we're going to look at how Jesus responded today, how he responded to attacks when attacks came in his life. And although Jesus is the Son of God, we read about him here as having authority over angel armies. Jesus did not overcome by looking to the power within himself. Jesus overcame as a human being, weakened by our fallen humanity. He faced these attacks that came his way as someone who is entirely dependent upon God, his heavenly Father. And as we look at his story, we can see how people just like us, you and I, how anyone can have peace in the midst of even the fieriest, most intense attacks that come our way. Titled the message this morning is Cool Under Fire. And before we open God's word, I invite you to pause with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be able to hear your truth speaking to us. Thank you that we are more than overcomers through you who loved us. I pray, God, that we would have the humility to accept the truth as it is in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 18, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 19. So just an observation here as you're going there. Some people think that humility or Christian humility is like being a doormat. And if you look at some of the teachings in Scripture, especially some of the things that Jesus had to say about, about the Christian life, you might be able to come to that conclusion that, well, maybe humility is like being someone who's just walked upon and, and, and kicked aside and, and maybe doesn't have a voice. Um, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, said, if anyone strikes you on one cheek, then, then what are you supposed to do? Fight back? Retaliate? No. Offer them the other cheek. Go ahead and hit this one, too. Later in Jesus' ministry, when he was headed to Jerusalem for, to be crucified, he came, and on, on his journey to Jerusalem, he came to this city in Samaria. Now, if, if you know anything about the Bible, uh, about the New Testament, you're probably aware that there was great animosity between Samaritans and Jews. But Jesus had gone out of his way to minister to Samaritans. You can read about that in John chapter 4. He, he shared the gospel with the people in Samaria, and there was this wonderful connection that he had. But they still hated Jews. And when the Samaritans in this village found out that Jesus and his disciples were not coming for a visit, but they were passing through to go to Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jews, they said, forget it. You can't stay here. We're not going to offer you a place to stay. Now, Jesus' disciples, they were offended, and probably rightly so. And, and they go to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, should we call fire down from heaven and really torch these guys? And, and Jesus, instead of demanding his rights, instead of insisting on better treatment, Jesus, although I'm sure he was very tired, he humbly acknowledged their rejection of him and continued walking until he could find a place that would receive him. Jesus was humble. And as we look at the story of as we look at the story of the cross. We see Jesus was mistreated and abused, and, and he took it. He accepted it graciously. This is a theme in Jesus' life. Yes, certainly, humility does involve taking insult graciously. But in John 18, we see that humility is not always quiet. You see, Jesus is not just 
He, he is our humble Savior, but he is not just the humble Lamb of God. He is also the humble Lion of the tribe of Judah. And when truth was cast down, we see Jesus rising up and having something to say about it. Look at how Jesus responds uh, to, to what, what's taking place in John chapter 18. We're going to pick up the story in verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest, this is, this is Annas, the high priest, he questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus responds in verse 20, I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. Jesus is no doormat here. When questioned by Annas about his teaching, Jesus doesn't lower his head and and, and remain silent. He's bold and confident. He's saying, why are you asking me? I spoke openly. Jews, the religious leaders, heard my teaching in the courts of the temple. People who are consistent worshipers of God, people who listen and and are intelligent and know what I said, they heard me in the synagogues. Why are you asking me? Go ask them. At first, when we read Jesus' reply here in these verses, 20 and 21, it, it might sound inconsistent with his teaching on humility. But if we take a closer look at what he's talking about here and what's going on, the reality is, is that it took a lot of humility for Jesus to make this statement. When Jesus asked the high priest why he was being questioned, Jesus is not defending himself. He's standing up for truth. He's standing up for what is right. He's speaking out actually, against injustice and an illegal proceeding that was taking place. According to Jewish law, you couldn't condemn someone. See, what Annas is trying to do is he is trying to ask Jesus questions so that Jesus will say something that would then lead to his condemnation. That's what he's trying to do. But according to Jewish law, it was illegal to condemn someone to death based upon their own testimony. And this is completely going against the legal system that he's, he's supposedly upholding here. But not only this, when Jesus stated that he taught openly, he was, it was an expression of humility because he is humbly submitting his teaching to examination. He's saying, let's, let's talk about it. Let's bring in the witnesses that heard what I had to say. Let's put it all on the table. You can go ahead and examine what I said, and you can decide for yourself whether it is true or not. Jewish rabbis taught, this is what they believed, they believed that God's law should be taught openly, that truth was for everyone to hear and for everyone to know. And if a teacher said something incorrect, if they were teaching in an open setting, someone could raise questions about their teaching. It could, it could be settled properly in a public manner. Teaching publicly demonstrated that Jesus was teaching the truth because the Jews understood that someone who is a false teacher, someone who is a false prophet, one of the, one of the characteristics of a false teacher is someone, according to the Jewish thinking, was someone who taught in secret. Jesus said, I spoke publicly to the world. It was evidence that he was teaching the truth. And when he said, I I spoke openly to the world, what Jesus was literally saying was that his teachings were public record. 
And for the trial to proceed and to be able to arrive at truth, then the public record needed to be summoned properly. Jesus' humble commitment to truth kept him from remaining silent when Annas was questioning him directly. So he calmly and clearly calls to set the record straight. He calls for the proper witnesses. Standing for truth like this was a theme throughout Jesus' life, and it's probably one of the main reasons why Annas wanted to kill him. Annas wanted him dead. A few days earlier, Jesus had taken a very unpopular stand for truth in the temple courts, and this prompted the religious leaders to want to put him to death. Now, this was about the time of the Jewish Passover, It was approaching, and that meant that Jews from far and wide were streaming into Jerusalem. Some had walked many, many miles, and they had come to Jerusalem to worship. One of the main acts of worship that they would participate in was offering sacrifices at the temple. And it was really impractical for people to be trailing sacrifices with them for miles and miles and miles on their journey from their home to Jerusalem. And so what they would do is they would bring their money. And they would come to Jerusalem with the intent to buy sacrifices so that they could offer them in the temple. Well, as a convenience, vendors set up booths in the outer court of the temple. And there they sold their sacrifices to worshipers. Now, these sacrifices were certified as unblemished. So they were ready to go. They were ready to offer there in the temple. Uh, The priests had certified them. But these sacrifices were sold at exorbitant prices. Scholars tell us that a, a sacrifice that was purchased, could be purchased outside of the temple could be um, twice as expensive, even more than that, if it was purchased in the temple courts. So they were making a lot of money by the sale of these sacrifices in the temple courts. But not only that, worshipers had to convert their secular money into temple currency, and in the, trans, in the exchange, more profit was being made by by the priests who engaged in this trade. Now, this system was oppressive, especially to the poor. I mean, poor people would struggle, and they would come and often be paying, using money that they needed to eat with just so that they could offer the poorest of sacrifices. It It was an oppressive system. But this whole system was big business, and Annas, the priest, he profited handsomely from it. Bible scholars tell us that this area of the temple where these different booths were set up, where they were selling sacrifices, that area was called the bazaar or the market of Annas. This was Annas's business that was going on there. And Annas was a very wealthy individual, and he owed a lot of his wealth to the sale of sacrifices in the temple. So that day when Jesus walked into the temple, just a few days earlier before this, uh, before this event here, before the crucifixion, he saw the poor being oppressed. He saw the worship of God being misrepresented. And humility demanded that he do something. He was committed to the truth. He, he was not looking to, to, for his own popularity. This did not make him popular at all. He had to do something. He drove out the vendors and the money changers. He made a stand for truth. And this stand caused the priests to gather. You read about this in the Gospels. They gathered together right after this, and they plotted as to how they could kill Jesus. This must have been so difficult for Jesus to drive these money changers out, to engage in in conflict, because Jesus was not a man that was all about conflict. 
Jesus was not a combative person. He didn't enjoy a heated argument. That is not Jesus. Jesus longed to be close to the religious leaders. But truth, standing for truth, was more important to Jesus than the relationships with these leaders that he desired. As Jesus stood before Annas and called for a fair trial with the proper witnesses, notice what it says in John 18, 22. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby took his hand and struck Jesus, the creator of all. He struck Jesus in the face and asked, is that the way you speak? Is that the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? So just picture this. Here is Jesus completely calm, and the priests are just boiling over emotionally. They cannot accept His call for the truth is he's exposing their hypocrisy. He's struck in the face. In this trial, Jesus had multiple reasons to be outraged. The trial was unfair. It was unjust. It lacked human decency. I mean, they're striking a person who has not been condemned yet. He's there on the witness stand. Or he's there defending, he's giving an answer for himself. They're striking him, showing him disrespect. But instead of getting emotional, instead of getting angry and trying to retaliate, Jesus is cool under fire. Listen to what he says in verse 23. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? What an incredible answer. How would you like to answer like that when you're mistreated, when you're attacked? If I've said something wrong, let's, let's, let's settle it. But if I've spoken the truth, what would cause you to strike me? Studies on the brain have demonstrated a correlation between strong emotions and a lack of ability to reason well. So there's actually a physiological thing that takes place in our brains when we are really emotional that disconnects our ability to reason with the rest of our brain. And that is why when we get really, really upset, we are able to do things in that moment that we regret and we think, ah, I was not in my right mind. I was not thinking, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to say that. There's a physiological reason for that. Jesus was just slapped in the face. Put yourself in his shoes. He was just slapped in the face. And yet his reasoning here in his response in verse 23, it demonstrates, it it, it reveals someone who is completely at peace. Yes, I'm sure it hurt. He was dealing with a sorrow of his own soul going on right now that he'd been abandoned by the the people that that he he longed to, to minister to. He'd been rejected by the Jewish people. And yet His mind is at peace. He's able to to think clearly, and he's able to reason with with the Jews here. It's amazing that Jesus does not retaliate. Instead, he continues to expose truth. If I've said something wrong, let's talk about it. And and, and if I've done something wrong, I want to make it right. But if I've spoken the truth, why did you strike me? To answer that question, they would have had to speak the truth. They would have had to engage with Jesus and and, and go there. Why why was it that they struck him? But no one was willing to engage with the truth in that courtroom except Jesus. Annas refuses to respond to Jesus, and he sends him on in verse 24, sends him on to be tried by his son-in-law, the then acting high priest. 
To know the truth requires a total commitment. It, it really is a love commitment in order to really know the truth. Now, you can know about truth, but to experience the truth requires commitment, much like marriage. When, when a bride and a groom stand at the altar to get married on their wedding day, the minister often asks the bride and groom something like this. Minister will often say, Will you love and cherish your spouse in sickness or in health? Right? In poverty or in wealth, for better or for worse, till death do you part. A commitment is asked for of bride and groom that is a total commitment. It's a complete commitment. Marriage means that you stick with your spouse no matter what. It's, 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 a, it's a lifelong commitment to this relationship. If he is in a grumpy mood, you stick with him because you're married. If she is nagging you to get something done around the house, you stick with her because you're married. You're committed. And the beauty of this commitment is that you're together in tough times. And when we're committed in the tough times, we get to experience a connection. We get to experience a closeness that we could otherwise never know. It's, just think about it. Two people cannot enjoy the intimacy and closeness and relationship of marriage if they're only committed when things are happy and nice. It's, the, it's the, this commitment in those difficult times. It's, those, it's the commitment when the other person is annoying or, or bothering. That's what creates this beautiful experience of marriage. You can enjoy this, this beauty and this joy in this relationship because of that commitment in the good times and in the bad times. And the same is true in knowing the truth about Jesus. We cannot receive the truth of Jesus' grace and forgiveness in our life unless we are also willing to accept the hard truths about Jesus, the truths that he is our Lord and that he calls us to worship him in a certain way, that he is our Lord and he calls us to return a tithe and and an offering, that he is our Lord and he calls us to self-denial. That does not come naturally to us. That is hard. He calls us to loving an enemy. He calls us to forgiving people who do not deserve our forgiveness. These are hard truths, but unless I am willing to accept that difficult truth, I can't accept fully the truth that I'm a child of God, saved by his grace. We can't choose one and, and, and without the other. We must be willing to commit to all of the truth, whether it's pleasant or not, if we're going to really experience it. If we're going to move beyond a knowledge and really experience it. And when we commit to knowing the truth and we put our trust in this, we are trusting in something that is so much bigger than ourselves. Just real quickly as we we conclude here. About a year and a half ago, um, I had to take a special class for a degree that I'm working on in marriage and family therapy. Now, this class was six days in a row, and it was eight hours each day, these six days in a row. So it was an intense class. It was going to be a small group of people, probably about 12 students with one professor, and we would sit in a circle, and in the middle of the circle, two or three people would practice counseling techniques while everyone else watched and gave feedback or critique. 
So this is a really intense, intimidating situation. But for me, I knew it was going to be so much harder because the first day of that six-day class was Saturday. And as I'm reading the Bible, I'm seeing what, what the truth of the Bible is, that, that, that it tells me that God is particular about the Sabbath and that he tells me to set aside the Sabbath as a holy day to send, spend special time with him. And so the truth prompted me to ask for a religious accommodation. That meant I would simply start a day late, I would be playing catch-up the whole time, and I would probably have to write a paper over the material that I had missed on Saturday. When Sunday morning came around, I entered into that class, and I had no idea how it was going to turn out. I mean, this was not an optional class. At this point, I had invested about two years of my life working on this degree, time and money invested in it, and I had to pass this class. And I didn't know how it was going to turn out. But something was very, it was very strange, because typically I can get very worked up and very nervous. If you know me, you know that I can get pretty excited. But in this moment, I was strangely calm. Strangely calm. Here's why. The pressure was not on me anymore. Like, it wasn't my idea to not go on Saturday. That wasn't my idea. That was God's idea. I was simply humbling myself to the truth of Scripture. So the pressure wasn't on me anymore. The pressure was actually on the truth of God. And whether I passed or failed, it was in his hands. It was very interesting. uh, That morning, as I interacted with my classmates, and as I worked through different counseling situations there, the professor watched. And later on that day, during a break, he came up to me and said, you know what, Brian? You don't need to write a paper. It's, it's evident that you are actually up to speed with the rest of the class, and you, you'll, you'll be fine. Don't, don't worry about it. You know, it was, it was such a powerful moment because naturally I can get very anxious and, and upset when, when hard challenges come my way, when there's difficulties. But God's truth is bigger than any difficulty that comes our way. And when we trust in God's truth, when that, when that difficulty comes, it is the truth that stands up for us. It is the truth that defends us. It's the truth that protects us. As a human, Jesus endured insults and abuse all throughout his life, and he did it with, he, he maintained perfect peace. How did he do it? Listen, we'll, we'll finish up here. For this reason, Jesus says, I was born. For this I came into the world. Why? What was the purpose? To testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. This is how he did it. Attacks will come. In fact, the more you resolve to follow Jesus, the more intense the attacks will be. So just expect them. But when you trust in God's truth, the pressure is not on you. It is on his powerful, unchanging, solid word. People may be upset with you. You may be misunderstood. You may be mistreated. But no matter how heated the conflicts become in your life, if you are willing to commit to God's truth and humbly submit to it, when you're attacked, You can be cool under fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know we're not naturally humble. You know we're naturally proud. We want to trust in ourselves, but please save us from that. Please forgive us for the times where we have trusted in ourselves, tried to defend ourselves instead of defending your truth, standing for your truth. Forgive us. And I pray, God, that you would give us a heart to accept 
all of the truth, to be fully committed, to enter a covenant relationship with you, the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for protecting us and carrying us through, no matter how difficult conflicts might get. In Jesus' name we pray.